In the holy name of Jesus, amen. If I die today, tell my wife that is going to be the opening hymn to my funeral. It is amazing. It is powerful, and it speaks volumes. Honestly, as I was sitting here singing this again, I kind of thought, do I need to even preach? Sure. The book of Job is one of the books that is read in the context of the Easter Vigil. And yes, even in Lent, it's okay to talk about the resurrection. Even though we silence our alleluias, it's okay to speak about the victory that Jesus has given to you over death. The book of Job is considered by many scholars one of the oldest books of the Bible. It's not Genesis. It's not others. Some scholars say that this book probably dates back to 2000 B.C. And yet, what do you hear in Job today? You hear a very mature faith and the great confection that we heard just a few moments ago I know that my Redeemer lives, and he shall stand at last on the earth, and after my skin is destroyed, this I know, that in my flesh I shall see God, whom I shall see for myself, and my eyes shall behold, and not another. Between Revelation 7, which speaks about these are the ones who come out of the great tribulation, they have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb, and this passage from Job 19, you have probably about 90% of the typical readings that I have used with families at a funeral. Some will say, as we talked about last week with the Valley of the Dry Bones, that the Christian religion was developed gradually over many centuries, and there were sophisticated philosophical ideas like the resurrection of the body, and those things kind of came later on. But what did you just hear? Job is considered by many to be the oldest book in all of Scripture. To sit there and say that the resurrection was simply invented later on really is to deny Job's words. He was too much early in many eyes to believe in the resurrection, they might say. Jesus hadn't come along yet and died in crucif through crucifixion and rose. And yet, what does he hear and say today? I know that my Redeemer lives. Is there ever such a phrase that doesn't ma immediately make you think of Easter? To deny the resurrection, though, is to deny the entire Christian faith. Because it simply makes a Christian, the Christianity the invention of men and not the divine revelation of God. Do you know how many of the saints in the Old Testament believed in the resurrection of the body? Abraham is told to go sacrifice his son Isaac and he says, we will go and worship on the mountain and three days later we will return to you. It's not that Abraham says, well, I'm going to go you know, slaughter my son Isaac because God has told me and I'll come back in three days. No, we will return to you. Isaac was the promised inheritance, the one who would receive the inheritance of Abraham. He was the only son of Abraham. And Abraham knew that even if God had asked him 
to sacrifice his son, God would bring him back to life. Genesis chapter 3, where we first hear about the gospel, talks to us about the resurrection of the flesh, because God says there will be the seed of the woman who is Christ, and that the seed of the woman would crush the serpent's power, which simply means he's going to destroy death. Paul even says in the New Testament, and you've heard this before, if the dead are not raised in Christ, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is empty. It's futile. And you are still in your sins. Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. I love what he says there. They have fallen asleep like me on a Sunday afternoon on my couch. Where's dad? I hear him. He's asleep. That's what death is for us. us. Those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished if there is no resurrection. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. What are you doing here? Why are we here today? But what about us? Why does God speak these words of Job to us? And what do they mean for us? Yes, he speaks a great comfort, and there is these implied words of a stern reality. The fact, though, is, is that he says very plainly, we need a Redeemer, and the Redeemer lives. Our flesh and skin will be destroyed by death, Unless Jesus returns first. The fact is, is that we need a resurrection of the fleshly body. And we're given that even after death. Why? Because everyone who sins is a slave to sin. And we know that the wages of sin is death. Job is reminding us that our sins are extremely serious and deadly. When God speaks to Adam and Eve about the tree in the garden, I mentioned this Sunday, but it bears worth repeating. In the Hebrew, he says that if you eat of this fruit, you will dyingly die. There is no maybe. You will dyingly die. And that is what Lent points us to. The heaviness, yes, of Good Friday... But the most important thing is, is that the Redeemer has come to redeem you. Christ does not merely endure a slight slap on the wrist. He suffers the most horrible, torturous death, even the death on the cross. He's rejected by us, and the weight of our sins crushed the Son of Man, and it is no small weight. Yet he did not throw off the weight and walk away to abandon you. And when Jesus takes on your sins, it's not as if he puts them in a garbage bag and simply carries them away for you. He embodies them into himself. He who knew no sin became sin. All of your sin that is known or unknown, all of the sins of thoughts, words, and deeds, all of those sins and all of that shame and guilt and regret that you feel 
he took it on. He endured all of it to end it. His great love for you is demonstrated on the cross. The shedding of his blood, the blood that you're going to partake of here today, has brought you back from sin and death. He has been your redeemer. And what does it mean to be a redeemer? You know this. When you get a coupon in the mail, what do you do? You redeem it. The price has been paid, maybe in part, by somebody else. He is your redeemer in great purchasing of you in the fullness of your sins. Also that you can be his and live with him in everlasting innocence, blessedness to all eternity. Your redeemer stood on the earth in the flesh. He does not stay in heaven, but he takes on flesh and blood, skin and bones, eyes and ears. He became one of us walking and talking upon our world. And did you notice that Job was also saying that as well? He knew that the Redeemer would be born of a woman. He knew that he would not be a disembodied spirit, but because you and I are the pinnacle of God's creation, of all things that he's created, the Creator becomes a part of his creation. He becomes flesh and blood, a man to rescue us who are flesh and blood. He stood on the earth so that he could be lifted high off of the earth on the cross to draw you to himself. He takes on our sins in his human flesh and blood so that you may know that you have a redeemer who has laid down his life for you. Job believed in this. He believed that the Redeemer would come, and you today have seen the fulfillment of that accomplished ever since Job on through today. Have you ever thought about that? Job, Abraham, Moses, all of these characters in the Old Testament longed for this, and now post-death and resurrection and ascension of Jesus all of these things have been revealed to you. Luther says that now as the Great Commission goes out from God to preach into all the world and to baptize in all the world, God is now more present with his world than he ever has been before. Going to the furthest ends of the earth to complete his redeeming work. Salvation has been perfected in his flesh and blood as he hung on the tree, and now that flesh and blood at this very meal become one with you. And this is our common union with him. His flesh and blood now live in and with you. His divine blood poured from the cross pulses in your veins as you receive his body and blood today. But it also strengthens your faith that there will be a resurrection, the comfort of his resurrection. On the last day, he's going to call you forth from the sleep. And then what did Job say? In your flesh, you shall see God. Your flesh and blood eyeballs will look at the flesh and blood 
resurrected and glorified Jesus. You yourself will see this, not to be veiled, not to sit there and stand in great fear, but to stand in great glory and praise of who he is and what he has done. That is the great vision of the glory of a holy God who is taken on flesh and blood and who goes before us so that he can prepare a place for you so that as you enter into that place in the resurrection of all flesh with your nose and your ears and your irises impacting your optic nerves, you'll see him. You'll stand before him. You'll even rub shoulders with somebody like Job. You will see, like Job talked about, God face to face. One of the common things that we also say when we hear of somebody who has died in the church is another quote from Job. The Lord gives and the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. That name has been placed onto you. And because of that, you have his righteousness, his inheritance. You have the Father's approval. And if he has, you have his approval, and if you are part of his kingdom and his inheritance, how could he not raise you to immortality? Because it is not you who live, but Christ who lives in in you. And on that last day, God is not going to see you in your sins and death. He's going to see his son in you. And since Christ has been raised from the dead, death could not hold him, even though now you have the promise of his resurrection as well. Death cannot hold you. God will look at you on that great and awesome day of judgment with great joy, with great power and might, and great peace for you. As he sees his son in you, and simply says to you, well done, good and faithful servant. Come receive the inheritance prepared for you long before Job, but since the foundation of the world. To Christ alone be the glory forever and ever. Amen.